the Palm Beach Auction, where collectors collect. This December 9th, 10th, and 11th, come see the best of the best. Consign and bid on some of the finest classic sports and vintage vehicles from collectors around the world. Held at the fabulous Palm Beach County Convention Center. For more info, contact HollywoodCarAuctions.com or call 1-800-237-8954. That's 1-800-237-8954. The Palm Beach Auction, December 9th, 10th, and 11th. See you on the block. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, a.m. 1340. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pro Stock's roots lie in the early 60s, when the Detroit manufacturers discovered drag racing as a sales tool. The factory warfare was carried out in the highly competitive superstock and modified production classes, where the car's stock appearance allowed fans to identify with the individual makes. Success on Sunday, sales on Monday, meant Ford, Chevrolet, and Chrysler were willing to go all out to win. The top drivers, the men who championed the cause of the car companies, were the men who became Pro Stock's original aces. For Chrysler, the leading proponents were a promoter named Buddy Martin and a driver nicknamed Mr. Four-Speed, Ronnie Sox. Through the mid-60s, few could match the performance of the Sox and Martin Chryslers, and certainly no one was quicker at shifting than Ronnie Sox, the undisputed king of the quick shift. One of Ford's top field reps was Dino Don Nicholson, a longtime stock racer famous for both his driving ability and his dyno-tuned engines. Nicholson's professional career began in 1961 at the NHRA Winter Nationals. Nicholson followed his super stock win in Pomona with one in Indianapolis for the U.S. Nationals. Although famous as a Ford ace, Nicholson was a Chevrolet racer until 1963. When Chevrolet stepped temporarily out of racing, Nicholson made the move to Ford and Mercury, driving a rocket-quick Comet, first as a wagon and then as a coupe. To Chevrolet fans across the country, Bill Jenkins was the man. His nickname, Grumpy, grew out of his abrupt style of dealing with people who tried his patience. His reputation as the master wizard of engine tuning came from his remarkable success on the track. Jenkins' competition signs were familiar sights on Chevrolets during the mid-60s. 
There is nothing wrong. Do not attempt to adjust. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Everybody, you are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And hey, this is a live radio show, so but run to your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com and you can see us in the studio live in downtown Clearwater. Hey Cedric, how you doing? Good evening. Good evening. We probably we probably should have saved that for Halloween, huh? Yeah. That was yeah. pretty good though. I you liked it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's vintage. It's nostalgic. So anyway, hey, we got a great show for you tonight. We got a couple of good songs. We have a very special guest this evening, and we have another special guest sitting in with us right now. Matter of fact, this is the this guy's probably he's an alumni. He's been here actually. This is his third trip here. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Paul Kelly to the show. Paul, how are you? And tell everybody who, what, where, and when you are, and where you're from, and what you do. Uh, well, I'm James Paul Kelly, but I go by Paul, and I I uh, live in. Uh Company, Michigan, and I'm down here in Florida putting on a few shows uh, this month. I raced at uh, Orlando Speed World last weekend, and it was a good show, and we're going down to West Palm Beach this weekend, and I'm going to finish up stopping by the PRI show, and we're going to go over to Bradenton for a nice show over there. Well, okay, so you told us you're doing a show, but what? What? Well, what? Well, Keep it, you, can't, you got us in suspense. What are you doing at these well, shows? I drive a jet dragster for Casey Jones, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, and uh, it's a pretty fast car. Pretty fast car, like 300 miles an hour cars? Uh, we, we don't run that fast, but... Uh, Close? We go about 250. 250? Yeah. Okay, that's, that's easing up on the throttle, though, right? No, that's going out the back door. That's going out the back door. <laughs> you still have the, what, 13,000 horsepower behind your... Yeah, these are some uh, old vintage uh, jet motors out of the Korean War, and uh, they got some uh, horsepower. They got some horsepower? Yeah. 13,000 horsepower, that's kind of mild, mildly putting it, you know. (laughs) Okay, so anyway, so how long have you been doing this now? This will be my, uh, I'm going on five years, and uh, I made around probably 300 passes in the last four years, and uh, I hope to make a whole lot more. Well, that's good. Now, these typically, these events are what? They're usually in the evenings so that you can really basically light up the countryside, yeah, so to speak? they called uh, Night of Fires, and uh, they, we have uh, uh, wheel standers and jet-powered uh, dragsters, funny cars, and usually there's a big semi-truck, too. So you guys with the uh, jet-powered cars basically travel around in a pack, and it's pretty much like an exhibition uh, runs yeah. is what you do, right? Yeah, it's all exhibition, and... Uh, but we all take it very seriously, and we really like uh, pleasing the crowd and the the kids, and just it's a, just a great show every time I do one. Okay, now how many passes in an evening do you do per show? 
Uh, most of the time we do two two passes, but every once in a while we got to do three to please the promoters, and uh, uh, it's a little bit much because it's a lot to do in a couple three hours. Okay, so let's take us through the steps here. Let's say, for example, you're getting ready to make your first run. I mean, just before you're strapped into the car, what are some of the things that you have to do so we can kind of get an idea? Most of us are familiar with conventional, you know, internal combustion engines and stuff, but you're talking jet engines now, okay? So well, tell we, us about that. Well, we, uh, you know, check the chassis over really well because uh, we don't want nothing to happen that way, but we just prep the motors and uh, make sure all the... Uh, levels are the uh, fluid levels are correct and uh fill them up with uh diesel some people use kerosene and some people use jet uh jet fuel but uh we use uh diesel in ours and uh just make sure your parachute's packed right and just wind them up and turn them loose turn them loose okay so now basically at this point you would sit there and get the car taken around and you're on a staging lane right yeah. And unlike a conventional dragster or hot rod, basically you don't do burnouts or anything like that. You just basically get the – because you, you do a slow start, right? And then all of a sudden it just accelerates uh, exponentially, right? Well, we uh, we plug them into some uh, uh, batteries, and we usually go from 24 volts to 48 volts and get them up to about 15%, and we light them up. And then the, usually the tow vehicles stay behind, but with the jet vehicles, they go down the track, and they wait for us, and we just – slowly bring up the rpms and we door shows the fireballs and the burner pops and then we just stage the car wind them all the way up to uh, around 105 percent hit the fuel and hit the igniter uh uh, go button and you're off (laughs) and you're off and then what are you turning for time six seconds something like that we we run about six between 650s and 670s around uh between 240 and 250 usually mm-hmm. okay and then uh like for example if you're you talked about you had the, the 24 volt battery thing now that what is it just like a little starter motor that sits there and spools the uh turbine up a little bit so you have to do that's like in a, a two-stage motor type thing in it is that right. the way that works it's, it's like a, it's like a truck motor but we got it you can't just you know give it 48 volts you just kind of slowly you know 40 uh 24 then to 48 and it just get it winds it up to about 15 percent it'll go higher but as soon as you light it it the motor takes over, mm-hmm. and they idle around 40%. And then once that happens, they unplug it, and then the tow vehicle goes down the track. And then that's all on us. We got all our controls. We just slowly bring the RPMs up and do our show and then stage the car at full throttle. Uh, yeah. And, and then now do you have – you don't really have a transmission in there per se. It's no, just uh, – it's all thrust. It's all thrust. So it's just like an open – I mean, it's a – it's just a an open rear end basically, and no transmission, and it's just push. Right now, the way your cars are built, you're, they start out as a dragster, right? And then at least the front half of the car up to about where you sit. Well, actually, my car was a dragster before it was. I, I, Casey Jones is. We have trains as our theme, and actually, we just put a new uh, car in our stables. It's a wheelie car. And it's a little train, and it's called the Crazy Train. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be uh, doing some test runs with that at uh, West Palm this weekend. Oh, really? Okay, now what is that? That has a normally aspirated motor yeah, in it, right? Yeah, it's just got a big uh, Chevy motor uh, on alcohol with a blower. and uh, That's rear engine now, right? So you can pull the front end up yeah. off the ground? 
So the driver sits up top, motors in the back, it's all torque, and it's just kind of like a wheel thinner, like back in the 60s when the little red wagon and, yep. and those guys so used this to This one looks like a little train. A little train, okay. Yep. We we actually, now if somebody wants to see this stuff, they can go to the website, right? What's yep. the name of the website? Uh, the website's caseyjonesracing.com. Okay. And at, at, at that website, there was, we were on YouTube a little earlier, and we actually saw some Paul Kelly and the Chattanooga Choo Choo, you know, where they actually have, this was at uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, I think. So there's a whole bunch of videos out there of you guys at a number of events. So if anybody wants to check out Paul Kelly and the Chattanooga Choo Choo and Casey Jones and the whole rocket car thing, um, they can check it out at, at, on your website. Well, or you can just go on YouTube and put in jet trains, and there'll be all, almost every uh, race I'm at, there's... Through probably a couple. There's somebody taking videos of it. Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. It's amazing stuff, and uh, you know, and it's, and it's really it's a crowd pleaser. You know, everybody yeah. likes that kind of stuff. Yeah, our show's pretty good. I think my my opinion is one of the best shows in jet racing. Well, that's good. Now, before that, you have you had some drag racing experience. You used to race pro mods. Uh, a little I, bit. I dr- uh, drove some super comps in the early '90s, and then I've I got my license in alcohol funny car, and I drove pro mods. Pro stocks, pro stock motorcycles. The only thing I haven't drove is uh, some nitro cars. Nitro cars, but I've sat in the seat of quite a few of them with the engine running. Okay, so the nitro cars is next next in line for you, right? Uh, I hope so, but you, I doubt it ever <laughs> happens. Well, we'll put a good word in for you. Matter of fact, I sent an email to John Asher, and John Asher sent me back an email saying, "Who are the guys? Who are the guys? Who are the guys?" You know. So uh, uh, when you get off air, we're going to go. Uh, John Asher, by the way, is the PR guy for Shirley Muldown. In case you guys didn't know, but he's also a journalist, automotive journalist, and he used to race with you back in the nineties, yeah, right? I, I was in a series racing with him yeah so he's, okay so he's, he's pretty good, good. yeah we're gonna try to get him on the air so he can talk about the whole pr gig and uh but anyway hey what do we got on the turntable there we got something uh queued up for us yeah yeah we're gonna play a little grand funk from from back in the day all right now grand funk's from michigan and since uh yep. paul's from michigan we figured well let's find a michigan band and absolutely, grand funk. absolutely. and since our since our our next guest is a little bit older we've tried to find a song that grand funk did it's a little with a little nostalgia yeah thing absolutely to it. okay i think i think we did well so we'll just play it and let, let the listeners figure it out there you go if it starts playing hey, wait a minute. real quick before you do that yeah, let me ahead. just say one more thing hey uh all you guys you know that this is not normally a call-in show however however i do have in my grubby little mitts in my possession i should say i'll have to be polite but anyway, I have some free tickets to the Palm Beach auction at the Palm Beach Convention Center. That's in two weeks. That it would be December 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Palm Beach Convention Center. I have two tickets. If you are the fifth caller, okay, we give away a bunch. Of, we had three callers last week that got lucky. So the fifth, the eighth, and the tenth callers. I got three sets of tickets here, okay? So three sets of VIP tickets. For the whole weekend, okay, for the Palm Beach auction, all right, the 5th, the 8th, and the 10th caller. You can call in, and you leave your name, your number. you got to be the 5th, 8th, or 10th caller. You will win these tickets, okay? 5th, 8th, or 10th. You got it. Now for the Grand Funk. Now for the Grand Funk.
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And hey, we already had three callers, so that means the uh, next one of the next two or three—I can't tell you when—but somebody's going to get lucky and get some tickets. Anyway, I'm sitting here with my guest, Paul Kelly from Michigan, who drives one of the infamous rocket cars, uh, the Chattanooga Choo Choo. So, Paul, now you're going to be at Bradenton in two. No, this weekend on Friday, you're going to be at West Palm. Motorsports Park, right? Saturday and Sunday. Saturday and Sunday. Okay, so you'll be out there basically torching up the neighborhood down there. And then the following week, the same weekend as the PRI show, by the way, for all you guys, you car guys out there, don't forget the PRI show is a huge event. Uh, You'll be down at DeSoto for the Snowbirds, right? Snowbird Nationals. And you'll be down there. Now, how many vehicles, how many um, flamethrowers are you going to be on there besides you? I think there'll be about five or six. Five or six, Okay. So now this little wheel stander, that's kind of an interesting little vehicle. That's kind of a new addition to your uh, racing uh, group there. Um, you guys, that's uh, Casey Jones. So do you get to drive that, or is Casey driving it? Oh, well, Casey will be driving that, and maybe hopefully someday in the future he might let me. He might let you get up there and do a little wheel stander down the eighth yeah. mile or quarter mile? Now, you yeah. guys run a quarter mile with those dragsters, right? Yep. There's a Well, that, some some shows we do eighth miles. Just some tracks are only eighth mile tracks, mm-hmm. so we the show at eighth mile. We, I got gotcha. you. So anyway, now when you're, do you have, how many events a year do you do? Uh, we did. We usually do around twenty-eight to thirty, but this year we're. We I think we're going to end up with like twenty-six. Twenty-six events. Wow. So and then, is, what's the maintenance like on these jet dragsters? It's compared to an internal combustion engine. It's really not that intensive, is it? I mean, there's well, not a lot of like, stuff to go bad. Well, it's just like anything mani- uh, mechanical. Something can go wrong, but usually we just freshen them up after the season, and mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, when you start them up, as long as you get the air going through them, and that's the biggest thing, as long as you keep them cool, they'll last forever. 
Okay, so it's not, they don't have radiators or any of that kind of stuff. It's no. a jet, so it's all totally air-cooled. Right. Just so in case anybody wonders, you know, they are air-cooled. There are jet engines. <laughs> okay, good. And, uh, and now as far as the, uh, um, you know, the venues themselves, I mean, you stay, like, on the east seaboard, and then you go as far west as what, Oklahoma, Texas? Oklahoma, Tulsa. We don't usually do too much West Coast stuff, and we're just mostly East Coast and Southern, Texas, Florida. Okay. Now, how many people in the country, you have to have a special certification to drive a jet car, correct? Right. So how many people in the country are jet car certified? There might be two dozen. Two dozen? Now, last year when you were at the PRR show, um, there was a lady there out of Orlando. So how many women drive Jet dragsters. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, Elaine and uh, Fran Pepler, and uh, I think there's going to be a, a new one with uh, Elaine Larson. Really? Okay. So and then have they been these all these people that have come up through the ranks, so to speak, before they get into a dragster? It's not like they just go cold turkey and uh, basically train and practice to drive a jet dragster. They've have it's kind of like a prerequisite to have some sort of Drag racing experience, yeah, most, right? Most people do that, but there's there's probably a few people out there that just went straight to a jet. Really, not a whole lot, I bet. But uh. wow, that's interesting. All right, hey, uh, let's go ahead and run a couple commercials, and let's get ready to get our guest on the air, and because uh, it's getting close to that time. This guy's really cool. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great pizza shop right here in downtown Clearwater. Bro's Pizzeria, voted number one in the city of Clearwater. They're located at 547 South Fort Harrison Avenue. They have great New York-style pizza, as well as delicious lasagna, spaghetti and meatballs, manicotti, linguine. And if you're in the neighborhood for lunch, they have great hot and cold sandwiches and appetizers. So call 727-441-6025 for takeout and deliveries, or stop by for a veal parmesan dinner and a nice glass of vino. That's Bro's Pizzeria. Check out their website and watch my friend Olti create a spectacular pizza before your very eyes. What would you like on your pizza? Call Bro's Pizzeria, 727-441-6025. That's 727-441-6025. And tell them Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotaka's Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotaka's Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotaka's Towing at 727-447-1952. And be sure to mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a discount.
$250,000 up for grabs at this Gator Nationals Drag Racing Championship. Let's start the action right now with Top Fuel Eliminator. The first pair of cars, Shirley Muldowney of Mount Clemens, Michigan, the only woman licensed to drive a Top Fuel dragster. Her competition, Clayton Harris from Moulton, Alabama. Both cars pulling into the staging beams. Let's watch. Clayton Harris. What a way to start this Gator Nationals racing. Shirley Muldowney redlighting away her chance in the first round of eliminations. Clayton Harris exploded a motor. When the red lights start, it means that you leave the starting line too early. And you'll see here, Shirley Muldowney just a bit too quick on those starting lights. Clayton Harris, lots of problems, the loss of traction, and there goes the motor. Exploding a motor. Harris into round number two. Lots of work ahead for him in the pits. The team of Jim and Allison Lee from the Plains, Virginia. Their driver, Lee Weller. Car started and pulled into the burnout box. The competition for Lee Weller. The legend in his own time, the man from Sefter, Florida, they call Big Daddy, Don Garland. Pulling into the puddle of water, Garland will be doing a burnout. All top fuel dragsters utilize the burnout to heat the tires. The purpose to heat them, obviously, to provide more traction. With the engines capable of producing over 2,000 horsepower, every bit of traction available is used. You see the tires growing as it comes out of the water. That's about the height that the tires stand when the car goes through the finish line. Smoke boiling off from actually burning rubber. Garlitz is driving a museum piece. This car last ran in 1975 when he won the world championship. He since retired it to his museum he is constructing in Sefter, Florida, but resurrected it for this race as his 1977 car was damaged in a race earlier this season. And Garlitz, the pre-race, is certainly the crowd's favorite with an easy win in the first round and a final lapse time of 6.07 seconds at 231 miles an hour. The rain-delayed eliminations finally underway here at the 77 Gator National. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's the final moment here. It's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And this gentleman probably has the most recognized voice in the world of motorsports, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show the voice of NHRA, Dave McClellan. Dave, are you there? Hey, I'm here, finally. I saw somebody said, push on the tin can, but they wanted me to pull on it instead. <laughs> you know, this, this modern electronics thing is is above my head. That's why I have grandchildren that are really bright about all of this stuff. But we're talking now, Robert, and what a pleasure it is to be on uh, WGAN and uh, with all the fans down there in Florida. And I, I recognized that voice just a moment ago. You were playing an excerpt from a 
race a long time ago. Yeah, do you remember that event? Does that take you back in time? Uh, it always takes me back in time, but unfortunately it is so crowded with memories that sometimes it uh, sort of eludes you a little bit exactly what you did and when. Now, just out of curiosity, when uh, what were some of the highlights that took place? Do you re- do you re- do you recall the 1977 Gator Nationals in Gainesville? Does any of that Be come to mind? Handed, uh, nothing specific. <laughs> nothing specific. Okay. Uh, well, uh, you you have to understand that I started announcing NHRA's national events in 1961. That's when there were two. There was the Winter Nationals out in Pomona, and then the Nationals in Indy. As the years went by, the number of races grew considerably, and it had uh, a fairly heavy schedule. Well, as anybody can tell you, you travel around the country for year after year after year. The races, at least for me, tend to run together. I uh, never was much of a stat man in terms of... uh, uh, just a, a whole logbook full of statistics. I always felt it was more interesting to tell stories and find out information that the fan may not have an opportunity to know. But what I'm leading to is by the time you got to 10 or 12 races a year, uh, they did run into each other, and you got memories mixed up and things like that. And you do also have to realize 77 is a pretty long time ago. Well, that's true. That's true. Now, you when you did your announcing, which particular tracks did you do most of the announcing, or did and because I know you mentioned that back in 1961 there was two, and then eventually I don't know what the venue is today. Um, Twenty-three, if my memory serves me right. There has been as many as 24, or in a case for one year they had a special one-time only event that bumped it up to 25. I think. Okay. Now, did you... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, did you announce at all those 23 events? Or 24 events? Yep. Okay. And uh, I did up until... Oh, I want to say the year 2000, maybe a little before that, I was beginning to realize that uh, it was taking a physical and emotional on me and the family and everything else. And so I started looking at come the day that I'm going to pull away from it. And with uh, NHRA's cooperation, we were able to come up with a schedule that gradually reduced my involvement over the years until about 2004, I think, was the last year I announced an NHRA national event. Okay. So that was uh, 43 years, and I figure that's a pretty good record in anybody's book. So how did you get started in uh, in uh, radio announcing, or the well, NHRA announcing, went, rather? Yeah, I went to college uh, originally to be a football player and, that, uh, and uh, to become a coach. And after about six weeks into that, I said, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And so the uh, small college in Missouri, I was born and raised in and around the Kansas City, Missouri area. And uh, they offered a, a, an experimental course in radio and television production. They had no equipment. They had a wire recorder. I don't know whether you ever saw a wire recorder or not. Hmm. And a 
tripod with wheels that they put a cardboard box on that served as a dummy television camera and a workbook, and that was it. So I thought, well, boy, this will be an easy one to ace because I had been singing, I was minoring in music and all that kind of jazz. And so I took the course, and it took me about two weeks to realize somebody would pay me money to sit and talk. So I went home, and I said, hey, Dad, I want to change schools. Well, he said, okay. So I ended up going to Iowa State in Ames, Iowa. And I uh, went there for about two years, intensely concentrating on radio and TV. Uh, The head of the department came to me, and he said, go get a job. We have nothing left for you to do. You've done everything that this whole department offers. So I got a job as a studio cameraman. I wanted to be an announcer in college. I was working as a classical music disc jockey. And at the television station is what in those days they called a booth announcer, a staff announcer. You'd sit in uh, the little announcer's booth, and every half hour I'd say, W-O-I-T-V, Channel 5, Ames. And that was the extent of what I had to do. But anyhow, uh, that's how I got into radio and TV, and it's a career that I have followed uh, since 1955, either as a freelancer or as a full-time employee. So then your first experience announcing announcing at a drag strip came about when? About 1959. I was working in Shreveport, Louisiana at a radio station, and by 59, I was into television in Shreveport and uh, was hanging out at a speed shop like uh, most young guys did and uh, became good friends with the guys that ran it. They had a couple of race cars, and they went to a race up in Carlisle, Arkansas. And I tagged along with them. I didn't have a race car. I'd just gotten married in 57, had a kid in 58, and uh, so there was no money for race cars. Radio announcers and television announcers in those days didn't make the big bucks like you guys do now, you know. I wish. Oh, it, was, it was a <laughs> tough time, right? Yeah. Well, anyhow, I tagged along with them, and it was a match race between Don Garland's car with Art Malone driving and Eddie Hill, a very popular Texas racer out of Wichita Falls. And for some unknown reason, the announcer who was working the race just rose up when they came up for their first round of the match race. And I knew the track operator. We had been there a number of times before. And the promoter and I were standing next to each other. And I said to him, I said, do you mind if I try? And he knew I worked in radio and TV. And he says, you couldn't do any worse. So I climbed up there and I picked up the microphone and I started talking. Well, I thought this wasn't mad. You're sitting right here. The clocks are in front of you. You're elevated a little bit. When I said walked up there, literally, it was an open flatbed trailer that had a table set on it with a clock sitting on it. And uh, the PA system uh, emanated from there, and that was it. There was no tower, nothing. There were no grandstands. either sat on the back of your car or the hood of your car or stood along the fence. That was drag racing in those days. And it was an active airport. You had to shut down while planes landed. 
so anyway, I I thought this is pretty cool. I can uh, be right here at the heart of the action. I can see the clocks. I know what's going on. I'm five feet above everybody else in the place. I said, uh, maybe I can do more of these. So I kind of put the word out and uh, made a few phone calls. And the next thing I know, uh, by 1963, roughly, I was announcing someplace in the country every weekend from about the first part of April up until the end of October, uh, including all of NHRA's national events, of which there were not very many at that time. But uh, that was at the time I got started with them. And it just sort of grew from there. How many events in Florida did you cover? Now, we know you did the, the Gator Nationals. Did you do anything at uh, at the Snowbirds, or did you do anything down at, uh, in the old days, Moroso? Did you do any announcing down there? Did well, they... I never did anything from an announcing point of view at Moroso, but back after I had uh, gone through several jobs, including a seven-year stint full-time with NHRA after we had moved to California for me to take that job, um, I went to work for a company known as Argus Publishers. Uh, they were best known, the publishing company was, for popular hot-rodding magazine, Super Chevy, uh, off-road and four-wheel, that type of magazine. Well, I came up with the idea after I'd gone to work for them in 78. I came up with the idea about 1980, late 80s, to uh, create a an event series built around the magazine Super Chevy. And oh, really? It took a lot of selling to the owners of the company that this was a good idea for them to go into the promotion business. But we eventually prevailed. Uh, the general manager of the place was in agreement with me, so we kind of... Uh, convince them that it would be a worthwhile investment just to see what's happening. So in 1981, we staged the first event at Pomona Race, or I'm sorry, at Orange County Raceway here in California. And it was known as Super Chevy Sunday. And it was an overwhelmingly successful event. Well, they formed a separate company. I ran that company for the remainder of my time there until 85, uh, and we took it uh, to other tracks across the country. It's a long ways to get me to Moroso, but we had Super Chevy Sundays at Moroso back when Dick was still alive and uh, had great turnouts, had great response to it, and had the time of our lives. We'd come down and spend a week or so ahead of the event, getting ready, and of course Dick had the boat, and we'd go out on the boat, and just, it was really an enjoyable time, and it turned out to be a very successful series that still is in existence today, known as the Super Chevy Show. So, uh, that was my other involvement, other than the Gator Nationals down in Gainesville, as far as involvement in Dracton, in Florida. Now, uh, while we're on the subject of, of Florida events, there's a an announcer here in Clearwater that races that's been around for, geez, since the late 50s. His name is Hazley Hood. I think I asked you oh, once I before. Know, I know Hazley very well. He and I go way back. And at one point, uh, Hazley was involved 
on the NHRA national event level. In reality, that's where I met him and uh, had got to know him pretty well. And every now and then, uh, he and I will have an opportunity to run into each other, or we'll call each other, and we'll bring bring ourselves up to date that we're still alive and kicking and uh, reminisce about the good old days. But, uh, yeah, Hazley is another one of those guys that uh, devoted a whole lot of his life to the sport of drag racing. Now, every Wednesday night over here at Sunshine Drag Strip, they have Test and Tune, and I've been trying forever to get Hazley on the show, but it just so happens that my show airs the same time that he's out there track announcing so one of these days we're going to do a live show up there i i hate to say it but if you could wave some money in his face it might make it a little easier to get him on if he has to give up some you know i gotcha okay hey do you have any good hazley hood stories by any chance boy no that's that's another thing like uh the 77 gators uh that's a long time ago okay oh we went through um, a period at NHRA where there were a lot of different announcers working. After so many years of basically three of us handling all the announcing chores, Bernie Partridge, the lead announcer, Steve Evans, my good friend and the co-host on the TV shows for years, and then hosted uh, the TNN series part of it while I went over to the ESPN side, and uh, myself. And we were the only three voices basically heard for probably 10 to 12 years at NHRA National Event. And then as Steve became more involved in the television business, Bernie was slowing down a little bit. They started bringing in other people. I was probably the only consistent one over a really long period of time. And as I said, I did it for 43 years. So, uh, But Hazley... In terms of stories, no, I, I really don't have anything. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, all right, now tell us about, what, you as, a, as an announcer, what type of preparation do you have to go through before you basically go live and, and uh, talk about what's going on, you know, to make, the, make your right, announcing? Let's separate this into two categories, if I may. Okay. One is track announcing, and two is television. Okay. Because... They're a little bit different, and when I explain how we did the TV shows, you'll see what I mean. Uh, In the track announcing, it's live. I mean, you're watching it happen just as the dude in the grandstands is. What I always operated under the philosophy, I try to make it informative, entertaining, and uh, something that I would like to listen to. And I always said, if, if I feel that I'm having a good time, I certainly hope the audience is, too. And you get that by, one, having an intimate knowledge and working relationship with practically everybody in the sport. You try not to make enemies. You try to make friends and make sure that you have the opportunity to spend time with each and every one that you can. You also better have a good memory because the sport of drag racing happens so fast and changes so fast in terms of driver, category, car, and I'm talking about through the running of any event, not any kind of long-term thing. I'm just, you're, you're dealing about every four minutes with another pair of somebody or sometimes a whole lot less time than that. 
So if you have a whole wealth of information, it has to be pretty much stored in your head. It's kind of tough to be thumbing through a notebook or, you know, nowadays you can call them up on a computer, but um, it's a little difficult sometimes to get all of that stuff that you want to say up and available to you before the run's over. When, oh, I, I don't know, it's probably been 15, 20 years ago now, just as laptop computers were really coming into their own. A fellow down in Dallas decided he was going to take on the task of writing a program that would provide instant statistical information to an announcer about everything about a racer. How many rounds he's run, how many what rounds he's won as opposed to losing. If he's coming up against racer Y, well, then uh, he you could look at the screen and it would tell you he has won 14 rounds while racer Y has won four rounds in the years that they have met. All of this kind of stuff. And it was a, it was a great idea, and I'm certain there's a program out there like that now. But the state of the technology of the computer world wasn't fast enough to keep up with the drag racing. They would run the cars faster than you could call it up on the computer. And uh, that's just part of the difficulties. And if it's written in paper, it makes it even more difficult as you're shuffling through. Yeah, you can keep a lot of notes. But uh, you better have them organized. And as I say, you'd best have a really good memory. Now, in television, for many, many years, we did the voice track for a TV show in post-production. That clip I heard when uh, I finally got the phone back to reconnect, was that off of a television show? Yeah, that was off uh, the Internet, basically, yeah. It could have been a television show at one point. Yeah, it would have had to have been, because that kind of delivery was basic to uh, the TV show. Mm -hmm. And what I was going to point out, in 1977, the program had been recorded visually on site. The director and the video went back to the edit studio. They edited the program, inserted all of the interviews, all of the sound bites, all of the music, everything they wanted to do. And then about two days after the race, maybe three, I would come in, go into a, uh, an announcing booth with a monitor in it, sit down and call the race as I watched the monitor, like it was a live race. The only, the only work I could do was uh, read ahead on the shot lineup, because I would sometimes get in town at 7 o'clock at night, and we'd be in the studio at 9, so there's no researching that you can do. You don't know what the editor and the director, producer, are going to put in the show. You have no idea what the interviews are because you're not there when they're recorded. Steve at the time, Evans, was the guy out in the field. He did the recording there. So I would sit down, and it would take on average show. A, uh, a one-hour show is actually about 45, 46 minutes or 44 of airtime. Uh, 
it would take you about three and a half to four hours to do that job. Sure, you made mistakes, but that's uh, the beauty of videotape. You can back up and <laughs> rewrite it, if you would, and uh, continue on. But uh, you had to re- kind of recall what went on with the race, and that's really something that worked to my advantage because I was the live announcer at the track for the bulk of the action that was recorded on the video. Now, so I saw it happen. It's just you don't know what the sequence is and how the director or producer is going to play the storyline that uh, transpires at the race. But that's the, the, the basic difference between the two of them. Again, I, I say that it requires a pretty good and pretty quick memory, and I seem to have been blessed with it for a lot of years. Did you have a lot of interaction? I mean, you, in other words, I sense that you had to be fairly knowledgeable, probably an extensive amount of interaction with the drivers, the teams, the crews. Uh, you had to really stay up on the sport quite a bit. I mean, is that a fair statement? Well, yeah, oh, very fair. I mean, that's, that's the key to success of any of this. Right. You can't lock yourself in a closet and be able to impart to the audience what should be done. Now, that's, of course, my own opinion, but that, you know, seems, again, as I said, I did it for 43 years, so something must have been right. So I just uh, would try every opportunity I had to become personally acquainted with the drivers, um, the crew members. I had a passion for drag racing, so it was something that uh, it was a joy to me just to be a part of it. And the fact that I was able to eventually figure out how one could make a living doing it, um, as I described it to people, I said, I've had the perfect job. I was able to make a living and provide for my family doing something I had done for fun. That's great. And that's that's about the, the take that I have on the whole thing. I, I loved it. I still do. I don't... I intentionally i don't get deeply involved in it today i have not announced the race i've had a lot of calls from a lot of racetracks that would like for me to come back and announce a race but when i decided to stop i just stopped i uh, i do a great deal of master of ceremonies work i do a lot of voiceover work um things like that but as far as race announcing, that was then, and this is now. So, well, we got a few but, minutes. We got a few minutes left. I'm sitting here with uh, Paul Kelly, and Paul Kelly is a real good friend of mine. He's from Michigan. He just wants to say hello real quick because he runs a 250 mile an hour jet tractor. Paul, go ahead and say hello to. Uh, how you doing, Dave? It's nice. Paul, hearing. how are you? I admire you. I uh, have often been enamored of the jets. I. I can recall going to a very small race in Tyler, Texas, and Art Arfons was the featured entertainer. And this was quite early. I want to say 58, 59. And I had never seen anything like that, and I'm still in amazement of the whole thing. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting him one time. He's a great guy. Okay, guys. He he really is. We got, uh, what, 
I'm less than a minute left, but I want to say, uh, Dave, I want to thank you for coming on the radio show. Um, would you be willing to come on again sometime so we can talk about some really good stories and stuff that you oh, can sure. share with I'm, us? I'm available. All you got to do is give, you give a me a call, and we'll set up a date and a time and sit back, and hopefully the phone won't go dead the first moment I'm supposed to be on the air. Okay. That's good. Paul, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I wish you the best of luck at the races because you're going to be at uh, uh, Barroso or basically, uh, what's West, it, West Palm, West Palm Beach, Beach Motorsports Raceway this weekend. And then following weekend, you're going to be at uh, Bradenton, which is uh, the Snowbird Nationals. Yep. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Everybody, I want you to drive carefully, stay safe, love your family, and tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars next week at 7 o'clock. And uh, we gave out a bunch of tickets tonight, so I want to thank all my listeners, and we will see you next week. And we'll see you at the races. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side, yeah. We chased our pleasures here. Dug our treasures there.